Hello, I'm Phil Dobby and welcome to the latest in our series of four podcasts looking at the key principles of thriving in the face of uncertainty with Michael Finland, the CEO of Vantage Performance. Now we've looked at some guiding principles, understanding your unique selling point, the need for some strong financial management. We've done all of that. We've looked at strategy, what that entails, including understanding which products are important and the need to continue to develop new products or new capabilities. So now, Michael Finland. Uh, capital management. And uh, we've talked about how you know, we need to keep track of money with uh, the three-way forecasts and uh, a 13-week cash flow forecast. Now, I'm sure you're going to tell me when we start looking at capital that we should be doing more with less. And uh, to which the reaction always, is always going to be, well, look, you know, I feel like I'm working hard now. How can I do that and keep my bi- business running in a, in a sustainable way? I mean, th- there's got to be a balance here, hasn't there? Yeah, it certainly does. And uh, welcome again, Phil. Um, the the key to capital management is efficient management of your capital. So when we go into a situation where the business is either dealing with rapid growth issues and that's causing some some, uh, concerns in the business or or whether they're going through a a challenging period where cash flow is really tight because of declining earnings or sales, uh, we need to look at how can we can utilise the internal working capital or the internal capital in the business a lot more efficiently uh, rather than having to rely on you know, borrowing more money or tapping the equity markets or, or raising private equity. So it's always a key focus and, and there's always, I haven't come across a situation yet where we haven't been able to improve cash flow by 10% just by looking at better uses of assets, better uses of um, uh, their banking facilities uh, and, and just smarter um, restructuring techniques to enable us to sweat the, what we call the internal working capital um, uh, before then looking at uh, the need for external sources of, of, of cash. Right. So and this is this is, this is very different, isn't it, from the idea that look, let's screw down suppliers on price, mm. or let's make sure everyone works one and a half times as, as long per week. Um, I mean, because that's the, that's unsus- that, that is the sort of unsustainable approach. It is, and ninety nine percent of consultants will go in there and just start slashing and burning, and, and most management teams will do the same. Yeah. Now, sometimes if a business has come off a cataclysmic. Um, event and they've lost 30% of revenue overnight, well then you do need to, to make some rapid adjustments to your cost base but but it's always the last resort in our view um, because it does does cause more harm than good uh, if it's not done as part of a complete restructure plan and there are always ways to release cash from the business just by looking where the inefficiencies are inside the business so stock management um, renegotiating with suppliers to rationalise your supply chain uh, you know, from from you know, we've got a client at the moment that that has you know 750 odd suppliers. Now they should only have maybe 250, 300. So there's a huge amount of uh, benefit by rationalising that supply chain mm. down to the 250, 300 mark, with and we'll be able to negotiate better terms, better payment terms, better pricing, because the remaining suppliers will get much more volume. So just that alone is going to generate significant cash uh, for this client. Uh, that we've just started working with. So that's one example. You know, debtors um, is often an area where, where clients get lazy or their finance team gets lazy. Um, the the whole production chain, if it's a manufacturing business, there are always inefficiencies in there that, that can turn into cash. Uh, looking at selling non-core assets um, you know, or surplus assets, you know, there's always a lot of situations where uh, you know, assets have accumulated over time that aren't really that critical to the business and... Uh, when it comes to preserving the core business or looking at, well, you know, do, do we leave that property on the balance sheet 
you know, it's a nice to have. Don't really need it, but you know, that's three or five or twenty million dollars. You know, could we actually invest that into another part of the business that's yeah. going to generate a much better return? So, and 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 use that cash from that from that sale to to repair the balance sheet and and, and fund some of this restructure work that needs to happen. So, you know, looking at some of those sacred cows and those nice to haves on the balance sheet and taking the hard line. If we have to do this to protect the core, well, we'd rather have a business at the end of the day rather than you know, a few nice assets on the balance sheet that we'll have to sell anyway if the business doesn't survive. So, so you've, you've yeah. talked about cash quite a bit there. I mean, you mentioned cash quite a lot. I mean, are we really talking about cash? I mean, is it important that you're – I mean, it, it makes sense, obviously, that you want to run an efficient business so there's money that you can plough into other parts, you know, the growth areas of the business. Mm. Or do you need to keep – cash in hand as well because i mean these days i would have thought look if you want to grow um get a loan i mean do you really need to have cash sitting in the bank isn't it isn't it well, doing nothing while it's there you, you do need to have a base level of um, surplus cash for emergencies for um, the the typical month-to-month cycles uh, and fluctuations of your cash flow so you do need to maintain a, a base level and have a, a, an emergency buffer but but we've got uh, situations where cash is tight and you've got lazy assets sitting on the balance sheet, uh, that's that's where you need to look at, well, can we actually do more with that asset by converting it into cash, uh, using it to pay down debt if we've got too much debt and, mm. and, and we've, our interest rates and uh, our interest costs and, uh, and repayment levels are too high for where the, where the business is at right now. And you know, even looking at things like uh, you know, rationalising your, your product range, uh, particularly where a company has gone through rapid growth, we see this quite often uh, and far too often, is where a company's ended up with um, far too many products yeah. or services and it's really not making much margin on a whole range of those products, yet it's taking up a lot of room in the warehouses uh, and that's tying up cash in the warehouse. So if we can't get the, 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 the margins for those products up to an acceptable level through price increases or, or taking costs out of the business, then often the situation of you know, rationalising the, the product range but down by 10 to 30% means we've got less stock less throughput, less purchases, and that converts into cash very quickly. Yeah. So often part of a turnaround strategy is to pull the business back, rationalise it, simplify it, because that generates a lot of cash flow, which you can then use to shield the business uh, and, and, and also divert and, and surplus cash into other areas of the business that are going to generate better returns. Yeah. Look, uh, Michael, you don't need to tell me about uh, companies with too many products. I used to work in the telecommunications industry, and they uh, <laughs> they seem to produce, uh, you know, if you haven't created 20 products by the end of the day, yep. uh, then you're not doing your job probably, <laughs> sadly. So what about um, uh, dividends? I mean, the, the idea that you want to keep shareholders happy, uh, you want to pay dividends, uh, but on the other side, you want to keep the business happy and keep the mm. bank happy as well. How do you get that balance right? I mean, because if you start saying, well, look, we're not going to pay dividends, that's sending a bad mm. signal, isn't it? Um, not necessarily in this in this called new new age where where you know things have, have changed permanently since the GFC. Um, the, the, everyone's looking for effective, efficient capital management, and if that means we're putting dividends on hold for twelve months to protect the business, to put that former income stream into a new service line or into a new part of the business that's going to generate a lot more uh, value, then then as long as it's sold effectively to the stakeholder group, the shareholders, the banks, etc., then 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 you'll get a lot of support for that because at the end of the day, their shares will go up in value if diverting dividends to a capital enhancement project is going to deliver better returns in the, in the medium term. So, so it depends on what sort of shareholder base you've got. So if you're a listed company and you've got 
a lot of short-term investors, well, then they'll be looking for uh, not so much um, long-term investment plays. They'll be looking for dividends, et cetera, et cetera. So it depends on, you need to look at your shareholder base and try and understand whether you've got shareholders who want dividends or, or shareholders who are in there for the long haul and want capital value return. Um, but, but the overriding factor that's different now than what it was five, six years ago is people are looking for efficient and effective capital management a lot more than ever before. And companies are no longer afraid to put dividends on hold or to slash dividends, but you need to have a plan to demonstrate that the alternative use of those funds is going to deliver better value. Now, I wonder also whether the mentality is changing on insourcing versus outsourcing. I mean, there used to be a school of thought, and I guess mm. it's still around, that, look, you know, if you want to create efficiencies, outsource as much as possible to people who are the, uh, the experts in a, in, a, in a particular field. But, I mean, that can create inefficiencies as well. How do you get the balance right on that? Uh, it can, but it's very difficult to get it right. And so a lot of companies have gone down that path because, you know, so many management consultants and, and uh, et cetera, have, have recommended it um, yeah. as, as the way to, you know, reduce costs, et cetera. But, but often you end up in inefficiencies. Um, and where you're looking at, you know, if, you've, if volumes have come off quite a way and you're looking at having to make redundancies in your, in your core business, which costs money and uh, et cetera, uh, an often productive initiative to deploy is to actually uh, bring that outsourcing of whatever you were doing back in-house yeah. and then utilising those staff that are currently you know, sitting idle because the work's not there um, you know, and then, and then you know, bring that work back in-house and, and using, using those staff to, to, to now undertake that work. So it avoids having to make those restructures or redundancies, which has an obvious impact on morale and culture. Yeah. So... Uh, so Not to mention the cost it, of actually paying those redundancies as well, but I think, you, exactly. I, think, I think you're right, actually saying, hey, look, we're bringing some of this stuff in, we're going against the trend mm. um, uh, because we want to keep you in jobs. I mean, that means you're going to tap into all of that um, extra effort that people put into a, into a job right. when they feel as though they belong. It can be a cultural enhancement tool and also particularly where quality control has been um, eroded by outsourcing, and, that, and that's the hidden danger of outsourcing is you, is you lose direct control over quality. And then you've, all you've got is the, the threat of taking the contract off, the, off the, the contractor if they don't keep up with quality. But in the meantime, your customers are, are complaining about product control. So um, it does resolve or can resolve a lot of those issues and, uh, and help protect the business. All right. Now, what about uh, your relationship with the bank in all of this? They seem like a, an important player, but I'm just wondering whether it's the sort of relationship you can you can work on because, I mean, aren't, aren't banks largely driven by formulas? So if you're managing your cash, they're going to be happy. But do you need to go beyond that? Do you need to get to know your bank manager these days or or are they just completely driven by spreadsheets and you're uh, wasting your time? No, definitely. No matter what cycle you're in, you need to, you need to have a very strong relationship with your bank manager or managers, depending on how many banks you've got. Uh, critical and, and, and more critical than ever before. They are looking for, you know, as I mentioned before, effective capital management plans in place. So a lot of the things we've just talked about are questions now the banks will be asking uh, of their clients. So again, you know, we talked previously about um, how do you stand out from the crowd to make yourself more accessible for credit. It's having some of these things uh, when you do present to your financiers about request for more cash or, or whatever it might be, demonstrating that you've, you've actually gone through the process of analysing all of these types of uh, initiatives. Whether they work or not, the fact that you've actually gone through and assessed them all improves the confidence that, you've, that the bank has got in your, in, in your management team. 
um, and helps build that stronger relationship, which you need. So when you when you do need to rely on uh, support from your financiers, those that have got a strong relationship with their bank will always fare better. Right. Now, this is a final question for you then, Michael. And this is a mm. bit of a how long is a piece of string question. But if you if you get all of this right, if you, you know, if a business suddenly uh, gets sharp at how it deals with capital management, mm. how does that how does that flow through to the to the bottom line in terms of profitability for the business, for example? Are we seeing, a, you know, what sort of spike do we generally tend to see? Oh, you can recapture a few percentage points um, um, on, mm. on the margin, uh, both both gross margin and uh, and net margin. So, the obvious savings in interest costs, uh, but that's usually at the margin. So, uh, a little bit of uh, interest saving uh, reductions. But but it's it's what you then do with that cash by de- redeploying it back into the parts of the business that are growing well, or where there's an opportunity to to take on market share, and that can deliver you know substantial gross profit. Enhancement, uh, yeah. because you know, in any business, there's areas that are pockets where you, it's really hard to compete. There's others where you've got new opportunities to grow and leverage your your brand, but you've, you're capital constrained. So the biggest savings that come out of managing your cash really effectively is is the redeployment of resources into other areas where there's growth opportunities, and it, it can transform the business in a matter of months. Right. So long as you know what those growth opportunities are and you can mm. leverage them, of course, you've got to get that right. But, but you also where, And that's where the strategy bit came in, came in too. You know, a couple, yeah. of, couple of uh, uh, sessions ago around working out where those opportunities are, how much cash we need to do to, to capitalise on those opportunities, have we got the right skills in-house, that brings in the people side, which we'll talk about later, yeah. um, to, to uh, effectively uh, uh, execute those new strategies with, with a properly capitalised plan. Right. Well, that is a good segue because we will talk about people next year. I love the way this all comes together. (laughs) So next time we'll talk about people very important in every business and often uh, not forgotten about, but perhaps not treated with the the respect in terms of what it means for the bottom line of a business. Uh, So let's talk about that next time. Appreciate your time, Michael. Sounds good. Thanks, Phil. 